Hi, this is Matt Kempel, co-owner of Milwaukee's premier live comedy spot, The Laughing Tap, and founder of the Milwaukee Comedy Festival. It seems you guys really like that last set. Let's see if we can keep the applause going and get the guys and their guests to give us a part two to the interview. I think they're coming out. Here they are. Show them your love, people. It's season six of the Bait and Switch podcast. Welcome back to the Bait and Switch podcast. This is Chris Byer, as always, with Jim Martin. Here I am. Hello. Hey, Jim. How's it going? No, no, sorry. I just edited our last episode. I will not ask you how you're doing. I'm just going to assume everything's cool unless you tell me it's not. All right. Thank you. I strike the question. (laughs) Thank you for listening. (laughs) Well, it is season six. Season six. Crazy. Season six, episode one. Yeah. Yeah. As as always, we bring back uh, the first guest of every season. Right. Dave Ball. Welcome, Dave. Thank you. Welcome, Dave. Thank you. Good to see you. Thanks for coming in again. Nice to be seen. Yes. Thank you. And then we always pair Dave with somebody else from past seasons. And we're bringing from the way back. Way uh, back. Way back. We're bringing Richard Wilson, our season two announcer, our season one guest. Welcome, Uh, Richard. (laughs) Thank you. Thank you. Good to see you, Richard. Should I do a hello, Milwaukee? (laughs) Sure. Yeah, yeah. Do it. (laughs) With the the velvet voice here. Yeah, that's right. Good to see you. Thanks for coming back in. Glad to be here. I did give Richard a little bit of a heads up on what we might be talking about, but not Jim and Dave. No, we're it's in the dark. Six. I'm clueless. It's it's time to get canceled. It's time for us. <laughs> it's time for us Uh-oh. to go down in flames oh, here. Oh boy! Oh boy! All right, now this, All right, well, this, this doesn't we have to air. That will destroy the tape. I have Richard Wilson here, and Richard is a Facebook friend of mine. People have got different topics they're interested in, and Richard I see talking a lot about. Issues of the day involving race. Richard is African-American, right? And so there's a lot of things that he talks about in his Facebook page that are, you know, topics of the day, whether it be George Floyd issues or critical race theory or or anything like that that comes up involving that. He discusses it on his Facebook page. Is that true, Richard? That is indeed true. Yeah. So you got some opinions. So I thought, Let's see if we can some, get some agreement here. Let's see if we can solve the problems. Solve problems? Solve, I don't that, know about that. Solve the world problems. I'm going to try and say some things that are just very general and see if we can suss this out among the four of us, see if we can come to some agreement about some sure. of these things. Whenever stuff like this comes up, people say, oh, don't look to me because I am the token woman or the token uh, African-American or the token this or token that. But you are our, our source here tonight. So let's... Start with what I just said, African-American. Is it black or African-American now? Well, before we begin, I'll just say, if you're looking for controversy, I'm definitely your guy. (laughs) All right, all right. Uh, We we don't hear it come from you, us. We want to keep our jobs. (laughs) Um, I've always been more comfortable with black, but, uh, I mean, you use them interchangeably for the most part. Of course, we have actual African immigrants, Mm -hmm. They would probably go one way as opposed to another, and you know, basically what I'm getting at is, black folk aren't, uh, or or we are a homogenous group. You know, it's like any other group. But you've got some older black conservatives that um, maybe they came up in the '60s with the Panthers and things like that, and I would imagine most of them would probably say (laughs) black. Yeah. They, I've heard some people say, like, they don't care for African-American because their uh, ancestors are not from Africa, mm-hmm. right? They're actually not African-American. Well, they so probably they are, black. though. They, you're saying by I mean, way of the Caribbean, maybe? Right. Okay. So, yeah, something like that, yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Right, right. 
And but, conversely, I have a white friend from South Africa right. who could be labeled an African-American. Correct. I wasn't sure mm-hmm. if that would be offensive to the other communities then. Your Egyptians are African-Americans. People of Arabic descent, right, in North Africa could be considered African-Americans, right? In, yeah, the, that, in the strictest sense. And, and that's where it gets tricky. And, and I, I, I think that's why I've always been a fan of just saying black. You know, if, if we're going to say Caucasians are white, then... Right. It makes sense that I'm black. Yeah. Right, right. Sure. Different terms, which I can't bring up now, have become archaic, right? There was a time when there was a different term for black people. Uh, yeah, they've gone through this evolution of different mm-hmm. terms. Do you see... And a lot of it has to do with academia. There's a subset of black people that, that are opposed to, you know, those hoity-toity East Coast elites and, and their ideas, you know. Right. So. Right, right. And I, I think this all started, if I'm not mistaken, with Jesse Jackson way back when he, he coined the term African-American, if I'm not mistaken. But those other terms, like, for example, the term in the NAACP, that term has mm-hmm. become archaic. They don't use it mm-hmm. anymore. Do you foresee a day where the term black will become archaic, where it'll become that people shouldn't use it anymore? Is it going that direction? Well... I don't think we'll get there because, again, so many people have so many varied opinions on it. And mm-hmm. it, it, it's going to be hard to get a consensus on that. And, mm-hmm. it'd, know, be hard to, it'd be hard to figure out what word, what word would then replace if we even need to have one, I guess. Mm-hmm. And what would that word be? Yeah. Well, it's the future, Dave. Yeah. It's, <laughs> you don't know. <laughs> but our task tonight is to solve this problem. That's a good point. Yeah, right. If we're going to solve this problem, we got to come up with that word, I guess. Yeah. Again, the rule for me, if we're going to say Caucasians are white, then it makes sense that African-Americans are considered black. Yeah. 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 Like I said, I wonder if future generations listen to this podcast, as they will do, uh, I wonder if they're like, my God, they said the word black. Because it might come a point at which which that happens. Sure. Uh, I think it's possible because those other words which go unnamed, were the commonly associated terms sure. during the 50s or the 30s or whatever. Mm-hmm. And they weren't considered pejorative at the time, but now they are. Right. Mm-hmm. You'll watch episodes of MASH back in the 70s, and there's some of those terms that are woven into the right. dialogue of those shows that are still on, on air today. Even episodes of Friends now are coming under scrutiny for some of the humor they used. Mm-hmm. Yeah, obviously, times have changed in terms of, obviously, the big thing now is gender, right? Gender is... Issues involving gender are now hot-button issues. Mm-hmm. All right, let's see. Here we go. All right, so we the our first thing that we've come to agreement on, black and African-American are still good, and we see them being good for the foreseeable future. So it be resolved. Uh, aye. 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 <laughs> All right. All right, here we go. The next thing I, I came up with, I think we can agree, I hope, that the average black person born in America is starting at an economic disadvantage compared to the average white person. I think that's fair enough to say. Now, on, on, on different ends of the spectrum, you could argue that you know, a rich black person is doing better than a poor white person, but just on average, I would say, you know, statistically, I would think, you know, whether it comes from uh, income or whether it comes from wealth, that this could be proven. That, yes, the average black Absolutely. person is a little less economically advantaged than the average white person. Mm-hmm. The stats clearly show that. Like, there's there's no contesting that. Okay, That's not even controversial. He is here for controversy. No, no, <laughs> that's not even controversial. I'm here for agreement. I'm here yeah. for agreement. All right, all right. Richard is here. So to... now, 
the big crux of the conversation over the last you know, 100 years is how do we get to a place where you know, people's starting points are a little closer to each other? Mm-hmm. So, Richard, you know, again, I'm coming to you first. What have we done so far that's helped? What could be done that's helped? And what have we done so far that's hurt? Well, that's a big one. Um, did Did you give these questions beforehand? So a little bit? No, no, no. <laughs> just got to think of this. No, okay, he's on right. Facebook. He's got all sorts of ideas. Okay, okay. All, <laughs> so, right. all right, good, good. So I'm thinking that he's going to come up with them on the fly okay. here. All right. The The easiest answer is education. We um, need to make that accessible for more people, uh, mm-hmm. regardless of race. It, Rising tide lifts all boats. Right. So, and I think our, you know, the past 20, 30 years, the quality of U.S. education seems to be going down, 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 down. You know, mm-hmm. We're in the age of information, so you would think it would be going the other way. But so much misinformation that people get, and we're not actually... Uh, enlightening ourselves it doesn't appear <laughs> well, and we're finding too there isn't a really there's not a relationship between money and education the outcomes we're throwing a lot of money at education we're not seeing that the in proportion the outcomes from that either i i think that 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 could be argued and i think that the way that the money has is allocated is just as important as how much money is allocated mm-hmm. right sure i'll go to jim we'll get all him right. in trouble yes here. all right good jim my turn uh on the right, people might say, well, one thing we can do to help is unfetter education from the federal government. Have it be more competitive, have you know, choice and charter and all those types of uh, schools so that the money follows the student, not the school. Uh, now, you've got a wife that's involved in public education, right? Uh, no. Uh, has been. Uh, yes. Yeah. Yeah. For um, a few years, yeah. Yeah. So let's get you in trouble here. My wife's uh, involved in private <laughs> education now. Is there anything to the idea that that education could be partially or fully untethered from the government and have it still be successful or maybe perhaps more successful. Is there anything to that idea or is it a non-starter? I think uh, the problem we're going to run into is that if it's not tethered to government in some way, uh, it's going to be some kind of profit, right? And so if you are looking to make a profit with your schools, mm-hmm. That's going to be tougher in the poorer communities, right? Mm-hmm. So I think the the I, th- I would think, and again, I I don't know. I've never had this question. I've never even thought about this, but just off the top of my head, it seems like uh, whenever you pour money into something uh, like that for for profit, uh, it seems like the poorer communities suffer more because they can't afford the stuff that the richer communities could afford. So there would have to be something done towards that so which means what subsidization or something subsidize these uh, and i'm not sure if that's where you're going with this you know people uh you know companies or something would would have these for-profit schools i mean i'm not sure exactly what that would entail privatization i mean what is that what what would the whole system look like at that point what if uh richard what if so you're not going to answer my question. Well, I'm just I'm trying to. Uh, what would it look like? It would look like uh, look like choice. You know, choice schools uh, is what it would look like. Richard, let's say there was a certain amount of money allocated to every student throughout the United States. Mm-hmm. Let's just pick around number ten thousand per year, whatever it is, and everybody had that same amount of money, and they were allowed to invest it in any type of schooling that they would prefer. Is that something that could be? be plausible be workable or again does it have to be tethered to 
the government for does the school have to be tethered to a government in your mind again i'm not well prepared for this answer necessarily <laughs> but i've been sort of on the side that's against charter schools and those sort of things that's why i brought it up i saw the posts <laughs> i'm teasing about it. I, I you don't want your kid to end up in, in kanye's donda academy or mm-hmm. whatever you know and or um, one of the Trump schools that failed, you mm-hmm. know, like it, it, I think we need, you know, a, a solid foundation of public schooling, you know, where, where we're all getting the same or close to the same curriculum mm-hmm. and, and, you know, that being able to uh, achieve just a, just a base level of knowledge in, in common core courses and, and those sorts of things. And, and the more we get into, the various charter schools, everyone's going to have a, the various curriculums and um, personal political agendas that go into all of that. And and that, I'm, I'm kind of leaning the other way. I don't, I don't really like that idea much. But, you know, when we're talking about the economic portion of it, I know as a kid growing up in Gary, you know, um, there was a point where we had one computer in the whole school mm-hmm. for all the kids like we we would come in in groups of 20 and they'd show us how to send an email or whatever. Right. And, you know, 15 minutes away in the Maryville school, you know, the white district with more resources, you know, they had a computer for every student, you right. know, and um, new books, those sorts of things. We had 30 year old books with pages torn out, you know, and written on and, mm-hmm. you know, um, so, and that's, that's I still a, got a pretty yeah. good education, right? But I still, at the same time, felt disadvantaged, right? You don't want people going to these schools, these charter schools that might be, you know, substandard. Mm-hmm. But I think again, looking for agreement here, I think we can all agree that there already are schools like that that are part of the current model. Mm-hmm. And so the idea that yeah, you know, we can't try different things because they might fail, they're already there. We're already failing yeah. our, our students in some regard, and so maybe something might need to be tried yeah yeah um, dave uh that makes sense what uh what richard just said you know you got gary next to maryville you got you know you got the affluent next to the poor and the resources generally come from tax dollars mm-hmm. uh local tax dollars now of course in gary you know incomes are low and uh unemployment's high so the money that's going to be fed into that school district is going to be lower and the than, tax base is diminishing exactly and it's going to be it's going to be diminishing so how do you level that playing field when people obviously they move to nice areas just like people go to better restaurants they want a better experience with food people move to nice nicer districts have a better experience with their schools and so it's only natural that you know people want better schools so they move to those areas so how do you even that out probably on the state level that they would uh, somehow change that I don't know Dave uh, how do you get how do you get it so that uh, the school districts have got more even uh, tax flows or is it already there that I'm not sure but as far as you know we talk about school choice and it isn't just school choice public versus private school choice can also mean going to a different private school or I'm sorry a different public school might be a town or two over that as 
a better match to that student because I don't want a student being condemned just because of their zip code and getting right. a bad education. I want them to have an opportunity to go somewhere else to get that education they, they need. And that happens and that, here already in Milwaukee that in Wauwatosa, for example, there's they call it uh, open, open, en- enrollment. Op- open enrollment. Open enrollment, yeah. That people can, as long as there's spaces, which there might not be enough, they can go to different districts. Correct. And that's what we have up in our rural area, too. It's like we see all the schools are advertising in the paper. Hey, come come here. And they, they talk about their outcomes, their scholastic programs, academic programs and such. And it gives someone that option. And again, you're talking about the money following that person. That might be an option then to give someone else a better opportunity and not be stuck in a, in a school that, again, their zip code keeps telling them they have to go to the school. Now then you get into the problem too about transportation. Right. You know, now you have to have the person then, you know, there's may not be a bus service to this school. So you may have to then have private, you know, travel to, or whatever. Yeah, to, to get to the school. But then it might be another opportunity then for, um, for jobs. For jobs. Yeah, yeah I would say jobs. capitalism. I was trying to think of a, yeah. of a word for it, but right. it, basically capitalism where someone can run a, a 15-person van to that little that area, picking up the kids, taking them to that school. And another hot-button topic in education is uh, CRT. CRT, also, it, it escapes me. What was that stand for, Richard? Critical race theory. Critical race theory. Now, me, Jim, and Dave are a little bit older than yourself, and we remember a time back when the TV show Roots came on, mm-hmm. right? And Roots was when we were in our formative age. And I certainly remember in our schooling that, uh, that we were taught that slavery was terrible and that there was a lot of downstream effects of slavery that live with us today. How is that different than CRT? You know, because, again, we, were, you know, we grew up in that time when, when it was a very hot-button issue talking about slavery. And uh, there was no mincing of words about how bad slavery was. How is CRT different than that? Or are, are students not being taught that slavery was a bad thing? Well, they certainly should be, but there are school districts where they're, they're not. You know, that... now, let me stop you right there. I'm going to say ignorance. Really? I mean, you think that there are school districts where they, they gloss over it or don't talk about it at all? Absolutely. Really? Because um, I, I would find that surprising. But anyway. Uh, Again, growing up in the the Gary school system, you know, it was a little different for us because we, you know, were predominantly black schools with black teachers. And, you know, they they would tell us, you know, what they considered the real, you know, history of things. Right. You know, go beyond what's actually in the textbook. But um, today in 2022, we've got... Uh, places all over Texas, and Texas is important because um, there's big publishing houses there that actually make the textbooks that go out to the rest of the country. Mm-hmm. So what they do there can have a major impact on a on a country abroad. But uh, anyway, the point is there, uh, Texas and Florida, some of these things DeSantis and those guys are doing are um, – um, trying to make it so teachers can't even bring up particular topics. And um, I would imagine slavery is kind of high on the list. Like it, you, that there are certain buzzwords you can't even say in a classroom or you risk losing your job or whatever they're doing. Like, uh, again, it's different jurisdictions trying out different things. But there are certainly places where the um, 
the things that I learned growing up, you know, um, pox blankets for the Indians and things like that. It, that's that's not CRT since it's um, um, American Indian, but you get the idea. Like they they don't want students learning a lot of the real history, like the bombing of Black Wall Street, and you know, it's people that are. 30 years old and they're just finding out finding out these things happened a, a century later mm-hmm. you know and um the thing with crt is it means so many different things it's it's just a it's become a straw man boogeyman argument you know it's just we're going to use this term and they certainly use it to scare people you know uh, they're teaching white students that they're not good enough and they're evil and they're this and that you know they the people who are against it, you know, that they make those types of arguments and they try and say that um, that agenda is being pushed on kids younger and younger and younger. And of course, they never offer any evidence of that. It's just, you know, a blanket accusation. Um, Again, with the blankets. Mm-hmm. This is a big, big talking point for him. Blankets. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Jim, uh, yeah. Obviously, it's an important topic. It's a, it's a, you know, it's America's original sin. And Richard is kind of talking like it's almost like Holocaust denial, where they're, mm-hmm. you know, they're almost denying that this happened again. That's not my experience from forty years ago. You're, you've got kids that are in that age where they're learning about uh, U.S. history and whatnot. Obviously, I'm sure it's important to you that they emphasize that there was some, you know, some of this bad stuff going on back then in regarding slavery. How much of this should there be? How how focused should they be on on issues that uh, that Richard's talking about? Richard Richard's talking about? Yeah, I mean, it should be highly focused on the issues Richard's talking about. <laughs> <'cause> he, <laughs> um, well, I mean, certainly, you know, I, I'm kind of with you. I, I'm surprised that if there are actually schools that are trying to sweep slavery under the rug like it never happened. I mean that that blows me away. And, yeah, I'll, and, I'll just I mean, I'll that, just say yeah. this: if if there are districts that are minimizing it to the point of not talking about it, that's a real problem yeah mm-hmm. for sure yeah. for sure yeah um so of course you can only see it from the white perspective right because mm-hmm. i'm white um but it you know it's like of course there's a horrible thing that happened never should have happened it did happen mm-hmm. so now the question is what do we do moving forward right um so what do we do because most of the black community i would think uh came from some type of uh slave ancestry right mm-hmm, mm-hmm. uh it kind of means they they've started off uh at a disadvantage from way back when right, right. so how do we even that playing field and i mm-hmm. think that's that's the question i, I don't i mean i have the answer but i'm not going to tell you tonight no okay. you know, yeah so I, <laughs> we'll delphi panel that <laughs> yeah, one <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. so uh, but i guess to your question how much should be taught about that that it, that's a tricky thing because it, you could ask that question about anything in history, right. right? I mean, how much do they focus on the Holocaust? How much do they focus on slavery? How much do they ch- focus on the the um, the ethnic cleansing that's going on in Africa right now? How much mm-hmm. do they, could they should they focus on the Civil War? How much manifest you, destiny? Yeah, mm-hmm. all, I mean, all these things, you know, all these different topics. The hard thing about history and history books and textbooks, to your point, is that whoever puts them together, 
their bias is going to come in there or, or right. their preferences maybe. Or they think, like, I really think, you know, the Civil War was really important. Or I really think the uh, War of 1812 was important. So there's going to be mm-hmm. five chapters in the War of 1812. Slavery's going to get a couple of pages. But, you know, 1812 was important. You know, yeah. what, I don't, you know, whatever. You get my point, right? So, Dave, let's talk about the War of 1812 specifically. Yeah, see, Dave? Yeah, yeah. But you get my point. Yeah, right. but my, point my point is that it, it's, it's not easy to determine what which pieces of history get uh, higher priority than others. You yeah. Know? But certainly slavery, I mean, certainly slavery is a big deal. Like you said, it's right. America's original sin, right? So, Dave, uh, do you think that your education was too rah-rah America or was it uh, unbiased? When you look back on it retrospectively, do you think, to Richard's point, you're like manifest destiny, like, hey, you know, we get to take over these lands because we're America and we're you know, we're the ones, uh, we've got the um, Monroe Doctrine where we're kind of in control of the of the Western Hemisphere. And do you think, as a kid, you're thinking, hey, that's my country. You know, we're, 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 we're kicking butt and taking names and we're in charge of this. Or do you look back on it and think, yeah, maybe they could have uh, shown the downsides of some of those things? I think I was looking at it just as an observer. This is what happened and this is what we're studying. I, don't, I didn't really think about it as far as how it's going to play out in, in, the, in the future. Now we're talking education that was 45 years ago at this point in time now. Mm-hmm. So I, it, for me, obviously you look back at anything and you probably filter it out as far as, in, in the, you know, is you filter out the bad stuff, you look at the good stuff kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I guess I'm, I was just looking at it as this is history and we were studying history and this is what mm-hmm. happened. I didn't, I, didn't, I didn't look at it with any kind of, spin or take on it just this is what happened until later on in life you hear the whole phrase those who do not study history are doomed to, to repeat it and i think that's where that needs to be played into is this is what happened these are the things we learned from it and let's not repeat them mm-hmm. i'm i'm gonna assume based upon just what we're talking about here richard you might think there'd be too much emphasis placed on american exceptionalism we're the good guys essentially sure. and that what we do you know, in the end, has you know the most benefit for the for it mankind. Is justified, no matter the the horrors they didn't do. <laughs> right, right, and uh, you know, I've I think the ends justify the means. You can't watch the first thirty minutes of Saving Private Ryan and not realize what they did right. and they, they sacrificed to eradicate an evil, though either in Europe too. Yeah. So you mentioned the movie Roots earlier, and of course, that's the the, the Alex Haley book was fabulous. I mean, it, the book. Everyone says books are better than movies, but mm-hmm. the book was tremendous. And of course, the miniseries is one of the most celebrated miniseries in you know television history. Right. Um, so we watched that in school, and more than once. Uh, you know, um, I'd say once a year for at least four or five years we had a week set aside where we would watch that film Mm -hmm. and discuss it you know um so again these days that would be considered crt it would fall into that bag this you know it's it's like a junk drawer that you can just toss in anything and call it crt if, if it's related to to black people um, and, and that's my issue with it, with the the controversy is, you know, uh, okay, so I'll, I'll use an example again with the American Indians. You know, when we were second or third grade, whatever, you know, we just learned the, 
um, just the basic, you know, the the Indians brought maize and the uh, the settlers brought meat or whatever, and then we had this big feast and everybody grew to live side by side and mm-hmm. you know everyone was happy but then hold on yeah right it's, hold on you got to tell that, me something different that's not how <laughs> <laughs> well then we get to you know maybe 8th or ninth grade and we start learning about that manifest destiny term and the trail of tears and you know the actual slaughter of the natives and um Again, that, that's that's history that we need to know. It, it can't just be whitewashed away or you know swept under the rug. However, we're going to term it, um, and and it should be age appropriate. You know, like I said, second or third grade, whatever, it's fine to learn the the nice uh, Thanksgiving story. But by the time you're thirteen, fourteen, fifteen, you should start grappling with some of these other ideas um and it doesn't have to be done in a way that it, it necessitates white guilt right pitting one group against another it can right. still be done in his historical perspective without making it a this versus right. that right like n- nobody alive today owns slaves you know we we should we should start from that um starting point you know that I'm not saying this is your fault. These are just the things that happen. Mm-hmm. And a lot of things that happened 200 years ago, you know, that's that's only three generations or whatever. You know, if people live to be 70 or, you know, that's, that's three generations to get back 200 years. Mm-hmm. You know, um, I'm, I'm pretty sure my maternal grandmother was born on a plantation i know for sure my great-grandparents were um and to get to where we are now you know we begin this discussion by talking about how do we even this playing field and you know i i I began with education because that's you know the most cliche the most obvious you know the first thing everyone's going to point to but to remedy um, these problems we're talking about, we need to address systemic racism in all its forms, like racial profiling from police and bank loans or, you know, the disparity there, the redlining. And, you know, we need to be more equal society in, you know, a, a dozen different ways before we can achieve equality. So. Do you think that... You know, I hinted at it earlier. Do you think that some of the remedies have unintended consequences that have caused backwards movement in in uh, in the black community? Namely, the first thing people point to is the dissolution of the black family because of transfer Welfare payments. The incentivizing of the breakup of the family records show that black families were more intact uh, than white families prior mm-hmm. to the development of transfer payments. And uh, this incentivizing of, of the breaking up of the family, something that I'm sure some people foresaw, but a lot of people didn't. You know, sometimes the unintended consequences of action at a societal federal level might be worse than what, what preceded it. Uh, do you see that? And what would you do to undo that? Well, I've certainly seen that argument made a lot. And it- 
I'm not sure if I'll, well, I'm certain I don't wholeheartedly agree with it. Mm-hmm. That if welfare programs, those sort of things did lead to the destabilization of the black family, that's the argument. If that happened, again, it, you call it an unintended consequence. It, it could be a, a, a dastardly one. Um, but at the same time, it, we need uh, a social safety net. And again, this is for all people, regardless of race, gender, whatever the case may be, we, there has to be something there. I mean, even, even as things are the way they, the, the way they are currently, where we actually have these programs, we've still got millions of people on the street. There's thousands and thousands of people working full-time jobs, and they still can't afford housing. Wages haven't kept up with inflation for the past 40 years or whatever. If you're working a uh, minimum wage job or, or close to it that you're not going to be able to afford housing on, you know, not by yourself at least maybe if you've got two or three people in the household and mm-hmm. they're all pitching in but yeah. well Dave I want to ask you uh, were you as impressed as I was with the word dastardly that was a good that was a good word <laughs> yep. Jim, yeah, oh, Jim's yeah. on the approval right I right. think that's the word of the podcast it is dastardly dastardly right. yeah I mean these are tough things and we've been grappling what is about grappling? Is that as grappling? good as dastardly or not as good? Not as good, no. Not as good, sorry. No, dastardly is much better. <laughs> grappling. Okay, I'm sorry. <laughs> we as a nation... Did you say shoo-sing before? We should, <laughs> should shoo some things around. That was okay, but... We as a nation have been grappling with these problems that have encumbered us. You're trying to throw two in there to yeah, make one? To, yeah, I know. Grappling and covered <laughs> equals dastardly? Anyway, so, we've been know. grappling with this, and we... I don't know. Are we getting closer? Or are we getting further? Dave, are we getting closer to solving America's original sin? Are we holding steady? Or are we getting further in your opinion? Wait, the four of us, or are we talking I'm about talking society? To, between the four of us, yeah. we're getting closer. Yeah, I think we're getting there, closer. I think there's yeah, no yeah, doubt we're getting yeah, closer. Okay, okay. That so was you're talking theme. about the rest of society. The rest of society. Okay. We gotcha. are solving yeah. the problems here. Okay. But Dave, are we going forward with uh, race relations, I'll just say it, backwards or staying steady? Well, the last figures I saw since the Eisenhower era we have spent, I think, one hundred forty thousand. Updated since the Eisenhower. <laughs> since then, okay. <laughs> the amount of money they spent on what's the word for battleships? I just, <laughs> that, well, no, I, I no? use I use the general term transfer payments. Poverty. That's the right. we'll say poverty, poverty programs. Yeah. Sure. So since the Eisenhower era, the, the money money has been spent on poverty programs would equate to giving every man, woman, and child in America like one hundred forty thousand dollars. Yet we still have people in poverty. So as clinicians. Do you look at the bleeding wound? Do you look at what caused the bleeding wound and, and try and go after the source or the pain? Let's say the, we'll go for pain. Pain or the problem. The yeah. pain, yeah. Let's say you have you know dull lower quadrant pain. Do you just cover up the pain or do you figure out what the problem of the pain is, take care of the problem, and therefore the pain goes away? Jim, uh, Dave has wandered too far away from the topic. Let's <laughs> Jim, are we yeah. moving forward, going backwards, or staying static re- regarding race relations? I, I think it's always going to be a back and forth because, you know, when you're trying to catch up, the pendulum's going to swing one way, it's going to swing back the other way, you know? I, I think mean, we could all agree that over the last, well, post-George Floyd, certainly, or starting with George Floyd, that we've gone backwards, at least temporarily, I think. Backwards in the sense that there's more tension. You know, but, uh, but I, yeah, I, I mean, maybe more tension, but is that backwards? Because yeah, I mean, because right. that might need what more you attention. need yeah. 
what you might need to get to that forward place. There needs right. to be maybe more tension so people pay more attention. The pendulum like swinging. Yeah. Right, exactly. It's yeah. like a so, marriage. You can't avoid the topic. You have to address it. Right. right. Yeah, but the numbers bear it out. Like We know that the, just the, the numbers for these hate groups have, have gone up exponentially. Let, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to push back a little bit on that. Hate is such an ill-defined term. Hate group is such an ill-defined term. Well, I'm, I'm thinking Nazis. I, I, I'm pretty <laughs> sure we can agree those are hate groups. But, yeah, but yeah. what people define as a Nazi, tomato, tomato, <laughs> might oh. be too flippant. I don't think you want to go on that. Yeah, I know. I'm, no, no, I'm, I'm, I'm joking. But what I'm yeah. saying is the numbers. I don't think you can put a number on, on hate groups or put a number on on hateful tweets or put a number on hateful this because the definition of hate will never be agreed upon. What I'll say to that is the number that we know about may have grown because they're more uh, boisterous. Mm-hmm. Let's put it that way. They feel like they can come out and, and they're not af- mm-hmm. afraid anymore. So maybe that's the, maybe that's the, but, and the internet but I mean, facilitates that to people. It's got a voice, right? Right. Right. But I mean, I can, uh, I'll let you say what you were going to say, but, um, but I think what he's saying is there are groups of people mm-hmm. considered terrorists, in, like, uh, uh, what do they call Proud them? Proud boys. Yeah, th- this kind of thing, like, uh, what, I'm going to call it, like, um, like, what do they call Homegrown terrorists. I forget, mm-hmm. there's a, a word that's escaping me. I cut you off based yeah. on the word hate, but I'll just say this. Your answer is yes, we're going backwards. Well... We appear to be going backwards in that sense, but we've got our first. Uh, we we recently had our first black president. We currently have our first black and Asian vice president, and our first black um, Supreme Court justice and female, right? And so, female, so, yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. My apologies to Clarence Thomas. Yes, and um, Thurgood yeah, right. Marshall. <laughs> they, yeah, yeah, yeah uh, he was amazing. Yeah. And it is sad that uh, <laughs> he was replaced by the other guy, in my opinion. Mm-hmm. There are areas we're making strides, but the numbers that have, uh, uh, I mean, you can. Back actually, to the numbers. <laughs> you can actually quantify, you know, that Proud Boys had 50,000 members in 06, and now they've grown to, you know, 150,000. On the same vein, though, Antifa didn't uh, wasn't around until recently, though, either. Well, I was just going to say, which is which is what Dave just said, which is some people might equate, say, the Proud Boys as a hate group, and some people might equate Antifa as a hate group, right? Mm-hmm. And people on one side might say, no, Antifa is anti-fascist. They're, they're good people, right? Mm-hmm. And so there's always going to be a definitional argument. And so... I bristle against the idea. Bristle? Anybody? Bristle, is that a good word? Okay. I do bristle against the idea that there's numbers, that you can quantify these things. I don't think you can quantify them. That's my opinion. I know that you've brought that up a couple times. But I I do think that uh, the Internet and the amplification everybody's got with their own microphones, as we have here today, you know, uh, puts these opinions out there. And so you could justifiably say, okay, there seems to be more voices that I disagree with that – that I deem as hateful. I could see that. So. Oh, like Twitter, too. That Twitter is like 3% of the users in the country. Mm-hmm. But yet, the people that are using Twitter the most often tend to be on the very polarized ends of both things. So you're right. seeing a lot of this stuff out there that doesn't mean, it doesn't may not represent the actual median and mean of the country. Right. So you're getting a lot of yelling back and forth. 
And to some people saying that represents everybody in that group, but it doesn't represent everybody in that group. It represents a small portion of those people Mm -hmm. that are in the extremes. Last question here. We got to get Dave home eventually. Got to get Richard home eventually. I'll go back to Richard. Are you hopeful for the future? I am, and I don't know that there's a reason I should be. (laughs) But you always have to remain hopeful. If you lose hope, then you've already lost the war. It's like the um, um, that old quote about confidence. If you have no confidence, you're twice defeated in a race of life. Mm-hmm. With confidence, you've won even before you started. Yeah, And that's a Marcus Garvey, another controversial figure. But mm-hmm. that's probably the best thing he's ever said. Um, but, yeah, that, that hope goes right along with that. If, if, if you're not hopeful that you can make a change, then you're probably not going to because you you're, you can't even fathom a, poss- you know, a, a scenario where these um, solutions and um, outcomes can arise. Jim, what is a sign of hope uh, in this country regarding racial relations that you think you've seen in the last year or two or three? Um, I think just talking more about these issues in general. I mean, even though there are some very strong opinions one way or another, I think they're going to be there whether we talk about them or not. If we don't talk about them, nothing's going to happen. So I think that the the fact that there's been more dialogue uh, about these types of things, um, of course, there's going to be there's going to be this back and forth. It's a very um, sensitive topic to a lot of people. But I think I think that's probably the the biggest thing. And, and like Richard said, I mean the the fact that there's a lot of uh, you know more black people are being uh, you know visible in uh, prominent um, roles in community. I mean I think that's a that that's also a, a big deal. But I didn't want to steal his answer. So. No, Dave, <laughs> where do you see as far as I reiterate what Jim said too? It's like dialogue, and it's got to be meaningful dialogue. Then it's got. I mean, for me. Coming from a very rural area, growing up in a town of 3,000, mm-hmm. living in a village of 500, mm-hmm. I, had a, I can pretty much guarantee with Richard growing up in Gary, Indiana, mm-hmm. we had different <laughs> backgrounds. Experiences, yeah. Experiences. For us to learn from each other, we have to talk to each other about right. those kind of things. So your positive experience is this right here. And 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 there's got to be a level of respect mm-hmm. because if you don't respect something or someone, right. you, you're, not, you're listening with no ears or half a year. Mm-hmm. So it's got to be dialogue. It's got to be meaningful dialogue. It's got to be allowing the person to say what they say because how they feel is how they feel. And and try and find where the common ground is. And when there isn't common ground, figure out what is a part, what is the wedge issue, what are the wedge aspects that are, are, are causing that lack of common ground, and how can that be fixed? Mm-hmm. I'll say before I did toss it to Richard, I'll try and come up with something a little bit more concrete. Uh, I do think that marriages, interracial marriages, mm-hmm. are on the rise, and that intermixing on the family level is one sign of progress. A lot of racial groups in this country traditionally have mixed on the marriage level, but not African Americans and whites mixing on the marriage level to the extent that we saw in other populations, but you're starting to see that more. And as we come to the same dinner table, more often, that might facilitate uh, you know, improvements. So, Richard, what, besides Barack Obama and uh, uh, Kamala, Kamala, which one is it? Kamala. Kamala. What are some of the green shoots for you in race relations that you see? Uh, I think you stole my answer. I was going to um, point to the 
I want to say that the dwindling numbers of of, uh, of strictly white households, I guess, is uh, I don't I can't think of a better way to word it right now. But just we have more mixed couples and things like that. I'm a mixed child. You know, I'm, I'm not just black. My mom's white. So mm-hmm. I think around the time I was conceived, it, it was that type of marriage was still illegal in many states. Mm-hmm. You know, we just had uh, Congress pass a bill a couple of weeks ago to uh, ensure that people like me can exist (laughs) (laughs) i think i think i speak for richard i i know you're a single man right Mm -hmm. i know you're you're open to pretty women of all that's right of all of all races yeah Yeah. no discrimination here what a a saint what a saint (laughs) (laughs) well anyway uh are we gonna are we gonna publish this are you nervous jim Dave, are you nervous? It's a it's a great deviation from every single podcast you did at this point. <laughs> yeah, that's true. I think that's it's true. been a good discussion. I, All I right. do too. All right. I, 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 think I, I mean, it, this is more podcast material yeah. that you expect to see a lot of times. Dave has just dissed our last podcast. <laughs> <laughs> Dave just said, basically, finally you've turned into a podcast after five years. He dismantled all we've done This after is five nothing years. like anything you've done before. This is way more like a it, podcast. It's actually good. <laughs> Send all angry emails to Christopher Byer. <laughs> well, anyway, I'd like to thank Richard for stopping by. I'd like to yep. thank Dave for stopping by. Thanks, fellas. Yep. Appreciate it. So, thank you. We'll do it again. All right. Great. All right. What All a way right. to open the season. Join us next time on the Bait and Switch podcast when we talk with comedian Rob Brackenridge. You've made it to the end of another Bait and Switch podcast. Spread the word.